Hello, and welcome to The Real Writing Process. I'm your host, Tom Pepperdine, and this episode, my guest is the horror writer, Ross Jeffrey. Ross is the Bram Stoker Award and Splatterpunk Award-nominated author of Tome, Juniper, and Tethered. Ross's fiction has appeared in various print anthologies, and his short stories and flash fiction has been published in many online magazines. This interview was recorded in late October 2021, a few months after the release of his novella, Only the Stains Remain. And on today's episode, I'm pleased to say I'm joined by Ross Jeffrey. Hello, Ross. Hello, everyone. Hello. And uh, my first question, as always, what are we drinking? I am drinking, people won't be able to see this, but this is my writing cup. And I use the same cup every single time I write. Uh, And in it, I have a very strong black coffee. And to also wash it down, I have a bottle of blackcurrant squash as I'm trying not to drink during the week. Okay. And how's that going? Is that working? Uh, Yeah, it's going all right. Unless I meet up with people in Bristol and and (laughs) all those plans go out the window. But most of the time, it's working all right. But I seem to drink more black coffee. So okay. just replacing one with the other is not, <laughs> not good. Yeah. And so has the black coffee always been your writing drink? Is that something that's developed over time or is it right from the um, I never used to drink anything hot or anything alcoholic until I was about 21. And then I met my wife and she corrupted me. So I got introduced to alcohol yeah. and, and then over time I've developed coffee. Originally she said, try it with milk, which was okay, but then gradually it has become black coffee no sugar no milk so wherever i am hopefully even at work like if i run out of milk i've got black coffee nice it's brilliant That's good. but yes I, I i probably have far too much when i'm writing probably about four or five cups a day whilst wow. i'm sitting down at the keyboard and where i'm talking to you now is this where you write at home is this your writing desk yes so yeah i'm sitting at my writing desk i have my lovely bram stoker awards nomination up on the wall in front of me as a bit of encouragement and lots of stuff dotted around like little knickknacks and stuff but yeah this is where I write uh, and all of my kind of books are behind me in the corners nice. and stuff okay. um, our house seems to be just held together with books so, but most <laughs> of them are downstairs but in here are my my own private collection <laughs> nice and moving on to your actual writing process then what sets an idea apart that you think Actually, this is something I want to develop into a story. Is it generally a character or a scenario? Um, so currently, I've got about 10 story ideas that are written down. And what I tend to do, and this is also whilst also writing short stories alongside it, and my most recent book, Only the Stains Remain, that initially started as a short story. And it was only kind of 4,000 words. So it was right. pretty short. And the thing that I get drawn to is if a character or an idea doesn't leave me and with this particular short story the the character just seemed to haunt me like for weeks after i'd finished it and i i was often thinking oh what happened to that person to like how did he end up here and what kind of were the external kind of situation that he was in and how did he do this and and when that starts to go around in my head I'm like yeah that's that needs more and then I'll just sit down and draw and write extra notes and kind of mind map where the story can go and normally look so with the 10 book I've got planned out one will generally rise to the top that and, and today I had that I was at work but I had that kind of that story 
out of those 10 gradually over the days has got more and more into my thoughts. Mm. So that will probably be the next one, but I'm currently in the middle of writing one. It's just, yeah, every time I seem to write, ideas pop in the head and then I have to quickly <laughs> drop them down and I'll come back yeah. to them later, but it's always the way. You never write without having other ideas come yeah. up, I find anyway. Yeah. So with having a day job and having the ideas percolate there, and you said you flesh things out, you map things out, are you someone who uses physical notebooks or is it an app on your phone? Where, where do you put your notes? I have various notebooks. I have one in particular which is just for note making and I carry it around everywhere with me. So every day I've got it on me. And then I have another notebook, which when I get to the stage of planning to write, I will do a title page in that notebook. And then the following subsequent pages will be full of notes and ideas and chapters and, and all that kind of stuff. I'm more of a, I used to be a pantser. So with my first book, I just thought, this is the story I want to tell. I'm going to tell it. And then I went straight from writing that into writing book two, of this series, which ended up being a novel, but I had to really plan it. And since that, I've not planned anything. And apart from short stories, I just let it go where it goes. But with longer works, I find it easier when I kind of plan out the separate acts and how many chapters are going to be in each act and how it builds and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's it's interesting. And I also, yeah, use my I use my phone and use the notes app on my phone oh. just it's normally when I'm falling asleep <laughs> I have an idea and I'll be like quick where's my phone yeah. and I'll type it in and then read it in the morning and it's just gobbledygook <laughs> most of it yeah but yeah I do keep notes on my phone and then if I am walking or something and something pops up I'm just quickly get my phone out jot it down and then when I get back I transcribe it into a notebook mm. I'm more of a physical medium type person I, I used to typewrite all my stuff it worked well in one way was that once I typed it when I was then typing it up, it was almost a second edit because I'd mm. be typing up my mistakes and changing it all. And, but then I realised I could just do that on the computer and it'd be much quicker. Yeah. As you've gone on, you've developed more uh, planning outline. And you said earlier sort of how many chapters and the different sections. So typically for you, how long is, is an average outline for a novel that you'd write? I tend to, this won't help anybody that's listening, but I'll show you. <laughs> And then I will try and describe what I've got. So this is my current book, which okay. is on a massive pinboard. And then the kind of yellow cards are my acts. And then I yeah. drop down the chapters in between and how I want it to work. And there's lots of other kind of uh, interesting pieces of paper that I've stolen or so. Um, there's a lot. Of, yeah. So there's a lot of in index cards on there, and there's a blue section, uh, a pink section, a green section. Was that just the cards that you had at the time, or are they very specific acts? Uh, the kind of blue cards I use as character cards. So okay. each one represents a character. And then on there, it will have this book in particular mm. is the third book of my series. So there is a lot of kind of background information and some of the character. And there's a bit of a time jump, like 15 years or so. But so some of the characters that were in the previous books are now older. And I've had to make sure I put down their ages correctly because someone yeah. will correct me if <laughs> I am wrong. And then the kind of pink cards are the kind of lead up to act four act five and then the green cards are where the story picks up pace in certain places and yeah and I, I do that with everything i don't really do a massive outline so i don't write a lot down i will just work through once i've decided how many chapters are in each act and how i want it to go i will give myself in each chapter a, a kind of beginning of the chapter and the end of the chapter and then i'll still pants a little bit in the middle mm. just letting it gestate and see how it goes and moves but also with this way that I work as well I can kind of because the chapters I've got are everything I want to say but then 
having it this way and I can see it, I can quite easily move the chapters around if I want to yeah. mix it up a little bit. But I know lots of people, yeah, will do a very detailed mm. kind of and just for the, the, the listeners that may not understand British jargon, do you want to explain pants writing? Oh, yeah. So just uh, kind of sitting down with no clue whatsoever of where you're going or what you're doing and then just letting the words flow. And yeah, and then planning. A planner is sitting down and planning. Yeah. But yeah, it's interesting. I pick up this jargon. I don't really know what it means. Yeah, it's, just like, it's writing by the seat of your pants. And I, I, was like, I got it, but it's just, I'll let you explain it. Uh, also with your pin board there, because it's quite big, it's, it looks like it's almost a metre wide by like a metre and a half tall. It's, yeah. it's it's quite a big beast. At the top there, you had some images. Yes. So uh, that's like kind of photo reference. Was that Are those images that you found online in a book? Uh, I found those images because part of my new book, which is called Scorched, and it's coming out through Stygian Sky Media because they've bought the rights to all three books and are republishing the first two with the third one coming and it has in it some elements of spontaneous human combustion and my father had a very old kind of encyclopedia thing that he bought every week when he was younger okay. and it was called the unexplained and in there were lots of these kind of pictures and chapters each week were dedicated to spontaneous human combustion and so I photocopied some of them cut them out like key ones that I wanted and it just, yeah just took some of those cutouts of crime scene photos there's some bits in there about Shakespeare it appears, or Dickens I think as well it appears in some of their works so yeah it was just it's, so I have something visual to look at when I'm yeah. trying to describe the grizzly <laughs> nice okay cool is there any part of the planning process that's a real struggle for you that you always dread before you, you start doing it? Or is it all quite fun planning out a new story? I find it quite fun. I love every single aspect of it because, you know, I write and people mm. thankfully read my books, but it's not a job. So, mm. and I think if I didn't enjoy a part of it, I wouldn't be writing because for me, it's what I do when I'm not working. I find it quite cathartic. Like I tackle lots of issues that I've had in my life and other big issues and topics, but I just love it all. Like I love the fact I get to write. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I also love the fact that people like to read what I've written mm. is, is pretty nice. I, I guess the only thing I struggle with is trying to come up with a playlist. That's probably it. And I've only just started that with the last kind of three books. Like before, I, I didn't used to listen to anything. I used to just yeah. sit in silence and, and write. I was speaking to Josh Malaman. I interviewed him on my kind of YouTube channel. And uh, he writes to music all the time. And he's a musician and everything as well. And, and I was like, I'm going to give that a go. And then... I think it was yeah one of the books I just listened to like John Denver songs <laughs> like just casual yeah. chill out the last one only the stains remain I wrote to a mixed soundtrack of John Carpenter theme musics across nice. the years which was really good and I enjoyed it like it didn't distract me too much but currently so the new book Scorched I'm writing to the soundtrack of Midnight Mass and Fun the again. soundtrack is is so good yeah. there's You've got lots of hymn, hymnal stuff on there, but creepy. Yeah. Sounds really creepy. So there's a few of those tracks, and then it gets into all the atmospheric stuff. I think I haven't listened to anything else other than that soundtrack on repeat whilst I've been oh, wow. writing. But yeah, like it's trying to find the right mood for the, yeah. like the work that you're doing. And Only the Stains Remain was quite a hard book to write and dealt with a lot of challenging issues. So I liked to have that beat of the John Carpenter thing to go through it and listen to that and Scorch is a little bit more slow burn so that kind of scoring of the music mm. 
get to me in a kind of zone which has been quite useful and I've really enjoyed it like that's as I develop and grow as a writer these other things are coming in like music I'd never thought I'd listen to music yeah so it's more soundtracks that I will listen to things without words that will just set a mood set a tone yeah that's probably the most difficult thing I find is is write music and the mood and as you said this is sort of like a, a hobby that pays more than a job because you know, it doesn't feel like work to you. Because I think a lot of aspiring writers struggle to finish. They come up with like, lovely ideas, but actually the graft of finishing and fleshing out and making a story the best it could possibly be. How do you discipline yourself to get all the words on the page? Was it you know, fairly easy once you've started to finish? Yeah, I think because I have it planned out, I find that helps because I haven't done it yet, but I'm on about chapter chapter nine of this new book. Normally I will cross off as I go each chapter that I've done, which helps me when I look up and there's more crosses than not. It, it helps get me going. And because I know the, the kind of pattern and I know that each chap- each act has five chapters, I know that's another ticking down mechanism that I use. But also what I tend to do, and I think it, I can't remember who said it, it was might have been Steinbeck or someone like that was when you write a book write it to the end and don't edit Mm. it because otherwise you'll always be saying I'm writing a book instead Mm. of I've written a book and that was very good and I've done that with the last three or four books but it does leave a massive hole at the end of I finished a book and now I have to edit it again because (laughs) I didn't I just verbally threw up on the page um but like with, with Only the Stains Remain, I did a, I think it was Joe Lansdale, someone like that. He writes his work and then when he's finished it, he'll go back the next day and re-edit that bit mm. before he moves on to the next bit, which I did that on that book. And at the end of it, there was hardly any editing I had to do when I got to the end. There was a you know a couple of like redrafts, maybe moving some chapters around and, and bits. But for the words on the page, I didn't have to do that much editing at all. And with my book the devil's pocket book which isn't out yet but i did the same thing with that going back and everything i wrote i went back before i started the next part just to make sure i caught everything and that that works well as well but i think it's just that i love writing so much that it never feels like a chore and because i don't have that much time to write that when i do i fully dedicate that time and and it's normally on a friday because i don't work on fridays and when my children are at school it's get up get breakfast sit down and then i'll write until it's time to pick them up and i'll normally get yeah probably between five and eight thousand words in that period of time which is pretty pretty good so Um, you basically have a writing day a week yeah i barely write i'll go to work and i'll get home about four o'clock ish and then it's yeah dinners for my children and the bedtime routine and all of that mm. and it gets to the evening and I don't really want to write I, I would have possibly written maybe one of the chapters I'm about to get to I'll just jot a few notes down about how to proceed but yeah I wouldn't do any writing and then I'll, I'll save it all up for that one day mm. on the Friday and I'll just sit down and just unload <laughs> it feels really nice <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah no absolutely I think uh, also when you have that ability to not worry too much about each sentence as it's just coming down it's just I'm just telling the story I'm Mm. doing a first draft because I think a lot of people get hung up to try and make it perfect the first time I know a few people that um one of my friends Anthony Self he's just released his first book called Birthday Treat and Mm. I think he's been working on it for a long time like two years Mm. this one book and it was only maybe I don't know, 
six months ago that he'd actually finished it, but then he had to edit it again. And oh, But he's a writer that will write a page and mm. then he'll go back through that page and start editing before he's even... And I've told him numerous times to just get the words down and do it, yeah. and do it. but he's, it's the way he works and the way he writes. And, and some, sometimes you can't, can't yeah. you know, teach people to change their ways. But, um, but I think he's got the bug now, so he may change his kind of yeah. writing style to just get more more down on the page quicker well i was just um thinking actually sort of where you said before how you'd sit down and reread what you'd written before if you're writing five thousand eight thousand words you're not coming back the following friday and spending your time reading that much so where do you take a break to reread you know i I guess that's a couple of times during that day yeah so i would i would write everything for that day which normally i would finish around about two o'clock and then I will read from two o'clock until about 2.45, which yeah. gives me 15 minutes to get to the school. And then pick them up, bring them home. And then on the Friday, I normally, because my wife's home as well then, I will normally kind of squirrel myself back up here just to finish reading. If I don't manage that, I'll then do a bit of reading in the week just to yeah. make sure I've read what I have written. And then normally before I sit down on the Friday to write again, I'll probably read the, the last... I don't know three or four pages of what I've done previous, just so I get the flow into the next chapter and yeah. make sure I've not missed a beat that I was yeah. I've left it on. And what really annoys me is when I run out of time when I'm writing and I have to leave a chapter unfinished. That's happened a couple of times, and I've been very angry with myself because then you have to <laughs> yeah. get back into that. What was I saying? What was I doing? Yeah, um, I mean, I know some authors who will purposely leave themselves mid-sentence so that when they come back they have to run on that idea and they're like, oh yeah, that's exactly where I was. Uh-huh. Whereas I'm very much getting the sense from you that you like to finish a writing block and it's end of chapter or cliffhanger or it's the end of an event. Yeah, because I recently I lost a day's writing and I was really pissed off. I had automatic updates on my Microsoft, uh, not updates, automatic save and I religiously save so moving my actual icon to actually push the save button mm. and I, yeah i lost about seven thousand words oh god and kind of computer crash and i spent probably more time looking up how to <laughs> recover my work yeah. than i did spend writing couldn't find it anywhere went into yeah i found a way to find out when the document was last opened to mm. see if uh, and it hadn't even registered that i'd opened it that day so i was just like oh my goodness but the point i'm getting at is like when i sit down to write it is more a kind of zone that I enter and each kind of Friday is different and, and it depends what the book is as well. But like that zone that I was in that day was so consuming that I didn't even think to save because I was just yeah. there doing it and the music was playing and the things were flying out of my head and onto the page. And yeah, it's more that I like to, because I can, I, it's odd to think, but the last book and this book, when I look at a chapter number, I can recall that feeling of what I was feeling on that day when mm. I was writing it. Yeah. So yeah, I lost all that work and then I had, and I was really pissed off and then I had to calm myself down and try and think about what mm. I had written and I could not think of a word oh, that I had no. written at all. So the following Friday I came back, sat down, had one the one sentence I could remember which was the start of the chapter and I, mm. I just read, and then I had another zone and I was just typing away. I think it's better than it was but there were a few lovely kind of sentence structures that yeah. I remember. I can't remember them, but I knew they were there. And I can't, couldn't mm. think of it, but I, they're lost now. Yeah, it's annoying. But yeah, I, I like to end, if I'm sitting down to write, I like to either write a whole chapter or maybe mm. two chapters 
I like to end on the end of the chapter because I build it up yeah. as I'm going. And sometimes where I've had to take a break when I come back, it's a bit of a, oh, yeah. and then they ran off. <laughs> <laughs> Just because I can't think. Yeah. And with... I think there's quite a lot of pressure having just one day a week where you have the time and the space to do that writing. Because if you're feeling unwell, does it ever happen that you have a Friday and you just wake up and I feel so rough or just so uninspired? What would you do? I had that about three weeks ago, two weeks ago, actually, two weeks Mm -hmm. ago, I had a week booked off work. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yes, I'm going to break the back of this book I'm going to do this and the Sunday before the Monday I came down with the worst cold and I yeah I felt absolutely rough but I sat down and I wrote a lot of words I wrote about 20,000 words Mm. not in one day over the course that week there is a lot of pressure and sometimes it'll roll around to the Friday and I might not feel like writing and I have learned that it's best not to force it. Even if you only write a sentence on that day, it's if it's a good sentence, it's a good sentence. But generally, I haven't felt that I couldn't write. Even when I've been ill, I've been able to yeah. sit down and do it. And yeah. it's not really strenuous yeah. writing. So I'd sit down with my coffee or a hot toddy or something and yeah. just chip away. J.K. Rowling, yes, yeah. forgive her for what all the other issues she's <laughs> yeah. got. But this one gem that she had was once you find that writing day or that writing time, defend it with your life. And that's what I do on a Friday if people are calling. They know I'm off, my friends. Mm. So they're like, you know, oh, do you want to come out for lunch? And I'm like, no, sorry, can't do that. Got to sit down and do this. And even my my family, like, (laughs) when they're like, oh, we're going to come and visit you. Can we come and stay on? We're going to come on Friday. I was like, as long as you come on Friday at four uh, o'clock, that is fine. But before then, I will not let you in. (laughs) (laughs) And... So how long does a first draft generally take you? Because I feel like that's almost like the quickest part. Yeah, again, depends the book and the size, but novel-wise, I would say, and because I only write really on the Fridays, I'd like to say around about two months. Three, possibly, is probably yeah. more likely, but if it's working, I think I wrote Tome in, in two months, and then... Because what I'm leading to is obviously the rewriting, the dreaded rewrite. Yeah. And it feels like that's, from everything that you've said so far, that feels like that's probably the toughest part for you. Would that be correct to say? Yeah, I'm not. It's quite strange. And my wife normally makes fun of me because I, I'm not very gifted in, in my education. I have somehow have decided to choose writing as another form of expression. And at school, I absolutely hated writing. I hated reading as well because I had a horrible English teacher who used to bully me so when we used to read out loud in class because I wasn't confident in reading out loud Mm -hmm. every time I stuttered she would just lay into me and then she'd get me to start again at the beginning of the sentence Mm -hmm. and then I'd carry on and then I'd stutter again and she'd be like no from the beginning again I just got worse and worse and then I think I had some type of mild dyslexia or it could be laziness (laughs) when I was at primary school so I find spelling really difficult punctuation I find I still find really difficult and my daughter's come home from school and tell me all these amazing words and I'm just like what does that mean and they're like oh that means when you you know subjunctive clause and all this kind of stuff and I'm just like Mm. oh to me that's just writing I think yeah the rewrites I find are are, are the most challenging bit but what I love about it is I've used the same editor quite a few of my books and the the first book there was just 
because using track changes and then he sent it back to me and it was just red everywhere <laughs> i was just like uh, okay but then gradually as the books have moved on and i've tried to hone my craft more and take more responsibility for me actually learning how to write better and one of those ways is reading you only get better at writing when you're reading and yeah. can see what other people how they structure sentences and punctuation and all that kind of stuff and yeah and so gradually each book that's come back from him has had less and less read in it and he's also said to me oh you've done this superbly and do you remember in this book that this was an issue that we had going throughout the whole book mm. but now you seem to have mastered that so he's quite an encouraging editor that's like, good yeah build me up as i go along but yeah it's more that my main bugbear is punctuation like i really struggle with it and working with a good editor is is worth its weight in gold but yeah but I, there is something about the rewrite that i love just reshaping it and trimming it and yeah. you know, getting bits in the right places and with the devil's pocketbook that's the first time i've really seriously gone back in and i added a couple of chapters and changed a bit of the flow of the story which mm. meant that i had to go back into each chapter and then change it like peaks and troughs and all this kind of stuff and that was at a point where i was like this book's ready to go and then right. i had some very good feedback from two very trusted and learned people and they said, maybe have a look at this bit. And, and then I was like, okay, yeah, actually, I see your point. And when I changed it and then reread it, I was just like, oh, that was genius. But yeah, but it's also knowing when to stop because sometimes you can edit the soul out of something if you keep on chipping away bits and bobs. And yeah, it's just knowing when to let the party finish and carry on instead of keep flogging it. Um, and is that something you feel with experience you've got better at? Or is it something that you still rely on beta readers and the editors to say enough Ross step away <laughs> yeah. I think I've got better at knowing when a book is finished I still do love to tinkle every now and then when I you know even you know if I reread something or, or someone messages me and says I did think maybe about this but like people that I know that are just like oh yeah maybe what about this bit and I'm like hmm <laughs> and because yeah. most of my stuff is well has been through Amazon I can quickly just change the document and then resubmit it and it's, right. it's, yeah. the next ones that get printed will have that in it but yeah, I, I know now when a book is done and it's, I'd say probably the first two books, I was a little bit like, oh, is it ready? And uh, oh, I don't know if it's ready yet. And I'll keep on going at it. But then luckily I save all my drafts. So if I've messed one up, I can just go back to the first one and be like, oh yeah, that's better. But yeah, it's a kind of ongoing area of growth. But I, I feel that the last two books have been very, that's it. I, I know that's done. The Devil's Pocketbook I've had done for a while now and it's just, gestating yeah. at the minute but like I haven't thought about oh actually let me change that to me that book is the best book I've written so far which is lovely because yeah. if it wasn't <laughs> I'd be like oh <laughs> and one thing I wanted to return to was where you referred to the the feedback from trusted friends I was just wondering how did those people become the go-to people what is it in your head that makes a good beta reader I find this quite a challenging question sometimes because there are beta readers that, and, I, and I'm not insulting anyone here, who like to blow smoke up your ass. Mm. And they're like, this is the best thing. This is the best thing you've done. This is the best thing you've written. I absolutely loved it. You know, it's absolutely stunning. And, and they all serve a, an amazing purpose. I love them. But you need to find people that are going to be brutally honest. And Gemma Amore, who's been mm -hmm. on this yes. before, I sent her one of my previous books to read. And she came back with some amazing, like, she read the first couple of chapters and then came back to me and was like, this bit just really causes me some issues. And then she kind of gave me some evidence of this, like through some people that she'd spoken to or heard talk about the particular issue. And, you know, I think Gemma was a little bit concerned, like worried about telling me 
because we'd only known each other for a year or so mm. like online and stuff and I was like no that, that's what I want to hear if something's not right or something's you know just sounds odd or not that's what I want to know and it's more the kind of beta readers that I use are authors that I really admire and appreciate their kind of wordsmithery and how they write and how they do stuff and I know I know that they'll be honest and likewise I have beta read like quite a lot of stuff and again I will give constructive feedback it's not like this is absolute rubbish mm. it's more I think maybe this character and sometimes it might even be that I think a character should be a different gender I'll be like this character is really good but why don't you have a female play that character mm. because it comes across a little bit better and it'll... so just little bits like that sometimes they use it sometimes they don't and and that's what that's the whole point of mm. um doing it you know you can have a look at areas and decide and you know, i've had stuff back that people have marked up on a word document yeah. and sometimes i'm like yeah that's a really good idea other times i'm like no i'm going to keep that line <laughs> i know you yeah. find it offensive but i'm going to keep it <laughs> because i really like it yeah. it's knowing that balance because you know, there's a lot of people out there that if you said i've got a book when you can you read it lots of people will say yes i'll read it just because they want a free book mm. not because they are looking at your work critically and I get that I don't have that many super fans. I don't have any fans, probably. But I think that the bigger name you get, the more of that kind of blowing smoke yeah. kind of effect you get. Unless you surround yourself with the core group of people that you really trust and that will have your back. And that you're not going to get offended if they yeah. come around to you and say, well, actually, I didn't think it worked. As long as they can give you a constructive feedback and criticism, that's, yes. that's all you can ask for, really, yeah. And do you find it it's useful that um, it sounds like the the beta readers you use at the moment are your peer group, and so you know it's people mm -hmm. that are going through the entire process themselves and understand the creative process, not just as a yeah. reader but as a creator. Yeah, I think that helps. And with the Devil's Pocketbook, I had a very well-renowned author look at it, and then he gave this feedback, and I was like, yeah, I'm not going to not look at that feedback. <laughs> so I was like, Yeah, okay, I'll have a look. But yeah, and it's peers that you know. And like Gemma is a, a Bram Stoker nominated author herself and, and a few of the other beta readers I use have either won or are nominated for awards. So mm. I know that they know what they're talking about. And I think that especially, I don't know about many other genres because I write horror, but the, the, the groups that I swim in mm. are very supportive of each other and, and give a lot of time and encouragement. And I do likewise. When all that kind of dumpster fire happens on Twitter and stuff, I stay well out of the way I'm like I don't need <laughs> yeah. to know about any of that but yeah it's finding your group of people and, mm. and, and keeping them close yeah. to hand so it sounds and I just want to clarify if this is correct that with the beta readers your, your peer group that they're very good on the structural on uh, the mm -hmm. characterization the actual plot beats and the story elements and any controversial elements within that and then you use your editor for the more proofreading side of grammatical mm. punctuation and spelling errors and, so and editor, sometimes yeah Oh, sorry. Um, oh, yeah, I, I sometimes I, get my editor will sometimes help me do a developmental hmm. edit early on. So I'll write it, I'll edit it a few times, get it to third or fourth draft, send it to him to say developmental edit, have a look and see if there's any areas that I can expand on. And I'll get that back and then I'll change bits. And then it'll go to the kind of beta readers. They'll read it and then be like, okay, this needs this and this. And then it is a final edit where it's down to yeah, commas and exclamation yeah. marks and all that kind yeah. of stuff. And, that, and, and yeah. it still surprises me that I miss stuff every single time. <laughs> I'll miss something and I'm yeah. like, oh, bloody hell, like again. <laughs> like I'm, 
and I forgot you, to close speech marks. And you've um, used the same editor for the last few books. You've, you've had the same editor yeah. for a while now. Um, and how I've did used, that relationship start? I first met him because I, I run a magazine with two other guys called Storgy Magazine. Um, it's like a literary magazine and we interview authors and book reviews and we publish short fiction each week and stuff like that. I first met him through there and we published one of his stories in an anthology. He then set up his own kind of little press and I'd written a story that he accepted for publication and then just got talking that way. And he gave me editing notes on my short story and I was like, oh, these are quite good and struck up a, a friendship from that. And yeah, I've used him on the last, well, all, all the books really. And he's a brilliant writer himself. Uh, he's called Joseph Sale. So that's been good. And, and one of the books in particular, my book Tome, it's set in America. So Joseph's English. So mm. we put it all together edited it all i basically wanted english spelling even though it's going to be in america okay. much to the consternation of many <laughs> americans but i that's what i wanted so i was going to have yeah. it but then so once he did his edit i then got an american editor to go through it and just look at americanization like faucet and flashlight and all that kind mm. of stuff i know but i forget and i'll just yeah. like write torch for some reason they're like oh yeah. do you mean flashlight i was like yes that's the one yeah <laughs> But yeah, it's interesting, and I will probably need an American to look at the next one because the trilogy is set in America in a fictitious town. But I will need someone to go through it with that American eye on it. Yeah. And I've the, the, the new book is being put out through a publisher, which is crazy for me. So, like, I had to check the other day. But I was like, "Am I editing this myself? I have to like pay my editor to look at it and then do that, or do you have editors that you go through?" And they were like, no, 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 we'll, we'll send it to our editor. And I was like, ah, okay. <laughs> so it saves me yeah. some money. I was like, yeah, yeah. okay, that's fine. But yeah, so that's interesting because I work with a different editor and it'll be interesting to see yeah. how they work and operate. And, and yeah, and I guess the higher you climb, the different editors you work with all the time, which is... And with this traditional publishing deal that you've got going through at the moment, are they doing a lot of promotion for you or, or are you still promoting your own work? Are you still in charge? I will be promoting my own work. They will be doing a lot as well. Their publicist called Sadie Hartman is very good. And they've like they've redesigned the covers, got an amazing cover artist called Daniel Serra, who's done a huge piece of artwork. So each book, if you put them together, will make up a whole bigger yeah. uh, picture. And they will do their own marketing, all that kind of stuff. And it will be released in limited hardback, paperback and signed numbered editions and all this. It just blows my mind <laughs> that that is happening, especially when I'm just doing it all by myself. And, yeah. Well, it's good but I will, yeah. I'll still be pushing it when it comes out. I'll still be yeah. tweeting about it and all that kind of stuff. I wanted um, to ask, how comfortable are you in promoting your own work? Is that a skill that you've developed over time or you always enjoyed it? I don't mind it. I know a lot of authors hate it, but I've always grown up with a father that said, if you want something, you've got to ask for it, but mm. you don't get anything for free. So I was like, okay. And that served me well with Storgy Magazine because some of the authors that I got to interview just because I was just like, finding out they're kind of editors and all that kind of stuff and then emailing them and be like Look, i'd really like to interview him can you get him to me and i interviewed like chuck Polnick, who is like my, oh, one of wow, my favorite yeah. writers and yeah james fry as well he did yeah. a million little pieces like all these amazing authors because i was just you know i don't care i'll ask anybody anything i'll be <laughs> like look can you do this or not yeah. like, it's either yes or no and you miss yeah. all the shots you don't take so for me like just putting tweets out and promoting my work i just love it i'm quite good at or not very good but i can make stuff look pretty so like if yeah. i get a nice quote i can make it look all nice and all yeah. the jazzy stuff 
and put that out and stuff like that. But I do promote other people's work more than my own, though, which is probably a curse, but I love it because <laughs> I read so much that I'm just like, oh, everyone should read this book. And then yeah. I'll just be like, oh yeah, buy this book and then check out his other stuff. But that's who I am. I'm a giver. Like I like to help people and people have helped me so much in my short career so far. It's only right that I should help others any way I can. It makes the world a better place. Um, I think as well, like some of yeah. the authors that I speak to mm. or interact with on like a daily basis, like sometimes I, I have to pinch myself and I'm just like, like I've got these people's like numbers on my phone and, yeah. and I'm just like, we're just chatting and I'm just like, they must be so busy that they have a little bit of time to know who I am and to interact with me. I'm just like, when I get to that stage, I am doing exactly the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> like, it means so much to other yeah. people. Oh, absolutely. And I think it's that attitude of lifting up the people when you've gone through the journey, you've climbed the ladder, you, you then lean down and you help the others up rather mm. than, you know, just dropping the ladder or pushing it away. Yeah, like, yeah. No, no, no. I'm in the ivory tower by myself. Go away. Putting a foot <laughs> on their head. Yeah. <laughs> Stay back. Um, and one thing I did want to talk about, because you mentioned it in a few different ways there of social media and in 2021 using social media as a writer. Do you feel it's essential in any way or do you think it's more of a hindrance? I would say it depends how you use it. I probably would say, and I don't really do Facebook. Like I have a Facebook page. I don't really understand Facebook. I haven't bothered learning it. I had it years ago and I used to be like obsessed. Like this is 15 years ago and I was just like, yeah, that was amazing. All my friends I went to school with and, and then I just, I quit it. I don't know, yeah, probably about 15 years ago. I just was like, oh, I don't need this anymore. It's rubbish. It's just people showing me what they ate for lunch. Yeah. So I don't use that. Instagram I use quite a bit, but the main one I use, I've got YouTube channel, which I do interviews mm. and book reviews and stuff on. But Twitter is the main one that I use. And I think it is probably the main reason people know who I am. I think I sell a lot of books through Twitter. There's a thing called Bookstagram. Yeah. Some of my books will appear on there and people will be like, oh, I just bought this because this person said this. And mm. um, I think YouTube's very good, especially these kind of book shows that do yeah, author interviews and all this kind of stuff and book reviews. And I've had, especially for me, I think I'm more known probably in the other side of the pond than here yeah. because the amount of book reviews that I've had over there from American kind of booktubers and stuff like that is just insane. And people yeah. are like, oh, I need to get this because you said it. And they've got like 20,000 people like following them. And I'm just like, okay, yeah, that's cool. But yeah, it's interesting. It does depend how you use it. And Twitter is probably the most used app on my phone. Mm. That's what I use to in, in, engage with people, to have a little presence. But luckily, like these apps now, I sound really old, um, <laughs> like all, all have links to other things. So if I yeah. put something on Twitter, it will appear on Instagram and Facebook. So I only have to mm. do one post and it yeah. does it more. But yeah, and I think, yeah, is it sometimes it's a curse. Like you look at it and you think, like you see some people, like what they put out there and stuff. And I'm just like, oh my goodness, I can't believe you just said that. And then there's be like a big mass kind of pile on and I think what the issue is that sometimes it allows idiots to say whatever they want and it pollutes the kind of goodness that is there if you can find it but there there are ways to especially on Twitter you can mute your feed from particular individuals so yeah. you don't have to see all that rubbish and and normally I just stay well away from everything because most of the time it's not a battle I need to yeah. enter into unless it's something that I find very offensive and then I will yeah. I will not probably go and do anything serious but i will be like okay i know that person said that so that is a card marked in my yeah. opinion and be friends with the block button that's what i yeah. spoil. 
Now, just uh, two last questions. I have a belief that writers continue to grow and develop with every single story that they write. And I was just wondering, from the last project that you finished versus the one that you're on now, is there anything that you're consciously aware of that you learnt writing your last project that you're now applying to your current project? Was it the last project where you started that revision process? Yes, yeah. it was, yes. That's something I have learned, and I've taken that through. I think what I have learned with maybe the last two books is there's more importance of rounding out a particularly evil character. Mm. So maybe even giving them an extra chapter, but from their point of view and to highlight how they or why they are the way they are, especially in this particular book I'm writing about because there's a group of five people that are very horrible. I could write it and tell you that these are horrible mm. people and that my main protagonist thinks they're horrible people. But that is quite one-dimensional. Mm. And I would like to have you know chapters from their points of view where you can find out for yourself how horrible they are, but yeah. also realise how they became the way they are and that they're not completely evil, even though they're not very nice. But yeah, that's the kind of thing I've developed over the last two books that continues to evolve as mm. I go. But just giving enough people enough airtime, I think, in a book, because some of my books have been quite insular, just revolving around the two or three characters. But the bigger kind of books of mine... I have made sure each person is given their own enough page time yeah. that you can come up with your own assumptions about them instead of me telling you what you should feel about them. Yeah. In a roundabout way, I think that answers. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's good. Yeah, it's giving uh, more development and more airtime to your antagonist mm. uh, to understand who, why they are who they are rather than just having a one-note villain. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. And... My final question, you did mention the Steinbeck advice earlier of just get the thing written. Because my final question is, is there one piece of advice you keep returning to when you're writing? So I think maybe that Steinbeck quote that you said earlier is one part of it. But is there anything else that consciously, if you're going through a tricky time or just it helps you elevate your writing? Is there one piece of advice that you find? I actually have it written down. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And it's next to my desk. So it's by David Foster Wallace. And it's a quote and it says, uh, good fiction's job is to comfort the disturbed and disturb the comfortable. And I have that on my desk and I, I look at it every time I sit down. And, and that's what I try to do with every book is, yeah, comfort the disturbed and disturb the comfortable. Um, that is and, and yeah, just yeah. sit down and get the words written down is another one. But yeah, I think they're the two really. And I think as well, I think... It was Josh Malaman that said something to me when I was chatting to him. And he said, I think he just reached out after I finished a book because I normally take a picture, put it on Twitter mm. because you have to. I put it down and he was just, he, he reached out and we were just chatting in a private message. And he was just like, huge congratulations. He said, because there's only a finite amount of these that you can do in your life. And you've just done another one. I was just like, yeah, that's a good point. You know, I write a book, I don't know. So I get two books out a year. That's not that many books. If you think yeah. of all the other things you do more than that in your life, yeah. you're just like, actually, yeah, like the fact I've I don't know, written like five, six books is something that yeah. should be celebrated. And yeah. every time I do it, I'm like, yes, I did another book. I'll have a whiskey and yeah. uh, we'll have a celebrate. <laughs> no, that's great. That's perfect, Russell. Thank you so much uh, for being my guest. And yeah, just again, thank you for being on the show. Yeah, thank you very much. That was the real writing process of Ross Jeffrey. 
I don't know why I called him Russell at the end there, but if you skip back 30 seconds, I definitely do. I have no excuse. I have met the man, I have got drunk with the man, I have even touched his flesh consensually. But can I call him by his first name when I thank him for his time? Clearly not. Therefore, Ross, I sincerely apologise. If you'd like to find out more about Ross and his books, you can find all of the information on his website, writerrossjeffrey.wordpress.com. I do also recommend you follow him on Twitter at rossjeffrey underscore. Tell him I sent you, but please don't call him Russell. Right, that's another episode done. We only have one more of season one, but don't worry, as I start recording season two tomorrow. If you'd like to keep up to date with what's happening with the podcast, please consider subscribing. I'll be putting a trailer together for season two once it's ready, but I have no idea when that will actually be. Also, send me a tweet at TheRealWriting1 on Twitter. I'm always open to feedback on the show, and it'll be good to hear from you. Anyway, until next time, my friends, or until the world ends. Time can never be your trusted friend or your sworn ally. No, it's the harshest mistress of all. And life is just a chain of moments spent, a thousand hellos and Maybe a love like ours can leave out its call. I will keep you near until the world is I have this problem.